Welcome to Be Innovative, the strategic foresight podcast that spotlights deep tech insights and open innovation. We're bringing in changemakers that are behind some of the groundbreaking inventions and ideas to come share their insights, strategies, and challenges. My name is Gladys, and I'm Shorya. And today we have with us Leo, the founder and CEO of Pretenga. So Leo, we know you had a successful career as a software engineer. Some would say that you literally shifted from software bugs to real life bugs. So and today you continue data driven systems engineering and biology through Pretenga Smart Insect Farm. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, what Pretenga is and how you made this transition? Well, thanks a lot for having me today. Um my name is Leo, as you mentioned. I'm originally from Germany, but have been here in Southeast Asia and Singapore um for the last 11 years. Wow. And um by background, I'm a generalist in the sciences. So uh jack of all trades but master of none yeah. um, <laughs> that um ma- master of some 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 master of some um and that brought me here to singapore and then into a software startup software solution for for large global regulatory challenges that mm. large companies are facing very interesting topic but after a while i realized that i wanted to do something more tangible and mm-hmm. something with a uh purpose that I kind of fully subscribe to that's kind of the the context where my upbringing growing out on farmers markets in mm-hmm. in in Berlin on organic food on oh. knowing kind of where my food comes from and having um traveled and seen different parts of the world seen the impact that that food system food waste um, has on the environment came together with insect farming mm-hmm. as a um as a beautiful circular economy solution the idea of leveraging insects as um recycling um agents for um organic byproducts organic food waste to decompose and recycle and at the same time mm-hmm. create new nutrient platform for um for nutrition um i thought that was very exciting mm-hmm. and um diving deeper into that in in 2016 um the the hypothesis kind of formed that um for for this solution that works in nature to have an impact on our food system and be scalable it needs to be made a lot more accessible that means right. um a technology and business model solution um that uh, makes it simple reliable and of course profitable to engage mm-hmm. in this activity and that's become the mission for for protenga and um in in pursuing that the the role that software and kind of a data driven production infrastructure has was um was and is a core part of our hypothesis to to win in this space So where does the name Pratenga come from? Mm. Oh. What is the story behind that? Um so Pratenga uh, stands for protein and uh, tenga the Spanish imperative form for tener which is have so it mm. means have protein. Oh, as simple as that. Um, <laughs> it, it's as simple as that. The name is the promise of a um circular and uh, renewable source of nutrition and of protein. Oh very interesting. Very nice. Okay, before we get into more details, I'll do like a very uh, top-line overview so our listeners also know what to expect for today. So, 
Today we will actually cover um, how Pratanga's smart insect farm enables a circular and local valorization of available biomass, how it contributes to high quality and high grade primary protein production for insects, and of course, how the future of making insects work for us really going to look like. Interesting part. <laughs> but before before we dive into all that detail, right? Could you could you take us to where we are at today and give us an idea of actually how does your smart insect farm look like? From even like how many flies did you have to, to bring in? How do you maintain that ecosystem in there? How does it all work? So the um, the insect that we work with is uh, called black soldier fly, um, or they let the name Hermitia elucens. It's a um, an insect that belongs to the group of detritivorous insects. Um, that means insects that feed on um, decaying organic material, mm. so they're primary mm. recyclers. The main scope of um, the farm itself is uh, relatively straightforward. We take organic byproducts um, or food waste or agricultural byproducts, mm. basically anything that falls out of the food chain from farm to fork and present it in a suitable format to small insect larvae. We actually don't farm in a way the fly itself, we farm the larvae stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we present that feed to the um, small juvenile larvae. When they hatch, they are about 0.3, 0.4 millimeters in size. Mm. <clears throat> and then throughout a growth cycle that lasts around 8 to 12 days. Very um, short cycle, they are, so yeah, and something you have to manage, right? That, that's a key part of it. We then operate a solid-state fermentation type bioreactor where not just one batch of insect larvae, but a few thousand batches of insect larvae in um, in kind of a continuum grow mm. from um, that 0.3.4 millimeters to about 15, 16 uh, millimeters, so um, mm. around 100 30 to 160 milligram of um, of size per larvae, and then we harvest that. We take the insect biomass and we separate it from the um, insect castings, mm-hmm. the so-called frass, which is a byproduct, um, and then process the frass into a organic fertilizer ingredient that goes back to for our um, listeners and for Sharia. Do you know what's frass? I have a ballpark idea. <laughs> but I, I thought it was a that. very elegant way. Yeah. For us, it's the technical term for um, insect castings or, if you will, insect poop. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> okay, well. Um, <laughs> insect poop, basically. Um, so it's, it's, the, it's the castings of the insect, um, the decomposed yeah. and fermented um, uh, feedstock that, mm. that, is, mm-hmm. that is used. And um, that, that is used as a organic fertilizer and soil conditioner back in agriculture. So it's yeah. one part of the circular loop right. to provide fertility and soil health. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is the insect biomass itself. The mm. insect um, concentrates nutrients available in the feedstock, concentrates proteins, the amino acids, the fatty acids, the minerals in it, mm. um, and kind of standardizes that into into an, a, a useful and usable um, nutritional format. And then that raw material, we further process into different um, types of products that can go into aquaculture as a ingredient for aquafeed, as a um, ingredient, yeah, exactly, to, to replace fish meal, marine ingredients, 
um, in an aqua feed that can go into uh, pet food, into pet food formulation mm -hmm. as pet nutrition. Um, nutritionally speaking, it could also mm -hmm. go into human food. It's mm -hmm. not what we focus on at Pratenga, mm -hmm. but in principle, it's a nutritional building block right. to then Very diverse uses. But I do want to catch on on this point, and I want to know what mm -hmm. makes Pratenga's insect farms smart. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. I mean... Honestly, I was quite interested in this BSFL composting system. It sounded quite cool and I went on YouTube and they, there were YouTube videos to say, how can you create a BSFL compost at For home? Yourself, yeah. Yeah. I mean, short of not wanting, you know, like <laughs> flies around my home and like a worm, a worm box somewhere. What yeah. is the difference? I think like also there are community gardens in Singapore sprouting out. They really Correct. appreciate BSFL, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, the powers of it now. But what makes Pratanga's insect farm smart? Yeah, absolutely. So the, touch, I, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's similar to um, if you think about uh, chicken, right? You have mm. uh, backyard mm. chicken and you have community chicken yes. and you have um, the broiler industry that yes. has uh, that has a very efficient production of poultry protein. Right. Uh, it's the same as you can have a compost in your backyard where microbes are decomposing and where uh, where you know working with microbes and you can have uh, high-tech fermenters where yeah. you use those similar microbes to produce nutrients or produce metabolites in, mm -hmm. in it, right? And so in, in for black soldier fly, you also have that full spectrum um, from uh, backyard farming where right. you largely uncontrolled, you use the insect in its natural form and mm -hmm. um, yeah. they, they, they feed and uh, decompose mm -hmm. and... Um, that's fine up to uh, large-scale centralized factory farms mm. that um, that process you know several hundred tons a day of um, of byproducts. Mm. Where we are at with Pretenga is that we we're in the middle. We're in the middle of that. We believe that <clears throat> for this to be a solution in the um, in the food system, it needs to be. Um, scalable. It needs to be. Mm. It needs to be consistent. Otherwise, the products are not usable by the customers. Um, at the same time, the opportunity is driven by the feedstocks and the availability mm. of feedstock and the geographic distribution of the feedstocks. And mm. so, we mm. our hypothesis is that centralized mega farms they might have a place, but they seem to be too expensive mm. and have too expensive to build and too expensive to operate to actually produce products competitively. Um, and we see a real opportunity in basically low-cost rugged hardware augmented with a smart automation system that mm -hmm. basically supervises the processes right. and that provides traceability, but that can be um, deployed and spread a lot more widely uh, across geography. That can be a lot more inclusive in terms of engaging local stakeholders, local mm. ecosystems of, of biomass in adopting it rather than um, being all kind of built on operate in a way exclusive, which is implied in, in mm. large scale mega factory farming. Mm. Okay. So when we talk about the food that you know you get out of this insect farming, what are the advantages when it comes to let's say the yield uh, or for pets at this point or aquaculture? What are the multiple kinds of advantages in different areas that uh, the insect farming and 
BSF B- building food on a has. question on yield, right? I suppose that when you have a smart insect farm like that, you can control for for the yield a bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I, one of the main parts. Right, but I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm quite interested personally to also know, like, what is the sensitivity range when you think about? I think BSF maybe they they have like a a temperature that they would thrive in normally. Uh, I think Southeast Asia climate, 26, 30 degrees, okay. Humidity-wise, sometimes we have like like thunderstorms like yeah. today and some, <laughs> we had like dry spells for really long. So could you share a bit more of that, how you balance that yield with that changing climate also? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe just uh, one step back to how, mm. how does the farm look like? Essentially, yeah. the, the smart insect farm has a couple of modules. It has a uh, feed reception and preparation module. So feedstocks, food waste are received, they are stored, they are conditioned, then um, we have a kind of central um, logistics and uh, tray handling unit that takes the feedstock, dispenses it mm. into individual growing units, mm-hmm. um, then doses the right amount of um, of small larvae to it, then we have a automated logistics system from there on to bring the um, the batches into our um, into our bioreactors, into our growth chambers, mm-hmm. and that's where the climate control that you were asking okay. about it's comes in. Indoor climate <clears throat> control, and then um, you you could imagine our farm is um, is designed for let's say thirty tons of um, of food waste input per day, around two thousand uh, growth units that are set up every day mm-hmm. and harvested every mm-hmm. day. It's a continuous flow. They stay within the system for eight to ten days. So they go into the bioreactor, and then inside there is a uh, climate control and ventilation system mm. to manage microclimates and to keep the conditions right for the insect larvae. Mm. Um, and then every day there's a new batch that is being um, set up, and every day a batch after it's completed its residence time, its cycle is being harvested out. The insects are... Uh, separated from mm-hmm. the frost in a, and then the larvae are processed. The frost is bulked to to have kind of a heat spike pasteurized and then it's packed ready for use. Mm-hmm. And um, for the larvae, we have a few different processes to do different types of products, but the main mm-hmm. products that we have commercialized um, into aquaculture and pet food are a protein powder and a uh, insect oil. Mm-hmm. And for that, we we take the larvae, we uh, dry them, um, and then after they are dried, they go through a mechanical um, oil extraction that is very similar to to what you have in any vegetable oil. Really, if you have sunflower oil, if Soybean. you have canola oil, sesame <laughs> oil, it's it's basically yeah. all the same working principle um, to separate those two, and then we um, then we have the the ingredient products that can mm. go have very seamlessly back into the value chain like a feed mm-hmm. manufacturer can use that without doing any changes to their to their setup it just enters into oh. their processes okay. as as normal so it's very seamless like yeah, that yeah. no it, 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 it's, it's a very important aspect exactly. of it because you can do a great product but if it requires your your value chain to change adoption is yeah. the biggest uh, challenge exactly. okay so that that's kind of the the visual of what the the smart farm scope looks yeah. like, and mm-hmm. then on the on the yield um, and the sensitivity question, the um, that that is indeed one of the challenges when when you do 
the same as if you're doing a backyard chicken when you do composting with BSF in your um, in your backyard, mm-hmm. you don't really care about the mass balance, right? Mm-hmm. You don't really care yeah. about the survival. You don't really care about the efficiency or losses that you have, and that's mm-hmm. fine, right? That, that's mm-hmm. fine. But when you do it as a process to um, to basically convert and extract an upcycle to create value from your inputs, then all of these efficiencies really matter, right? Mm. And it matters whether you have a kind of overall efficiency of 10% or 15% or 20% in in your um, your extraction. So all these parameters measure, uh, all all of these matter. And when you have, let's say, 2,000 individual units on a daily basis, um, the variability between them is a main factor to control. So one mm-hmm. is, can you actually do that quantity in a fully manual operation? In some countries in Southeast Asia, maybe yes. Singapore, definitely no. Mm-hmm. In Malaysia, yeah. also not <laughs> no, really yeah. anymore. In many places, and you know, we're looking into the future, will you be able to do this manually in five years and 10 years? Right. And our view is that no, you, you can't. And you can't, you know, when, whenever you have something that is very frequent, and that is very uniform and mm-hmm. where you have a benefit from low tolerances mm-hmm. in factors, I think that is when you have a strong argument for, um, for automation and, and software-guided controls. Right? And, and that's mm-hmm. why, we've, no. um, why we have that, um, why yeah. we have technology solution and software solution that control and monitor the yeah. climate, the process flow, the mass balances for it, mm-hmm. every of our individual trays to, to actually yeah, track it. So what so you don't measure, you yeah. can't manage. Exactly. This sounds like a very elaborate, like almost ideal state kind of farm. Yeah, amazing you know, how every, it all comes yeah, together. Everything is measured, monitored, controlled for using Leo's yeah. expertise, honestly. <laughs> exactly. But can, you, can you give us uh, a bit of like tidbit on like how it used to be before all this, I mean, I'm sure you didn't wake up one day and realize that all this can be done and should be done. What was the first insect farm? How did that look like? Yeah, how did it all boom? Oh, yeah. Like the BSF. What was yeah, the first just prototype? Just like a manual uh, community farm, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, manual, small, and trying, trial and error, gaining experience. Um, for, for me personally, it started in, in an insect tree in um, the university here in Singapore, okay. the National University, where oh. I partnered with one of the professors. We had a, um, a project under the university to, to look at food waste recycling and the genetics of the, um, the insects, the potential mm. for uh, genetic improvement of the insect as well. Because if you think about it, anything that you buy today in the supermarket as a food, whether it's fruits, vegetables, mm. meats, um, none of it is wild type, right? All of it is a result of genetic modification, decades yeah. of breeding. breeding yeah. and also, it's not yeah. necessarily GMO. A, a GMO <laughs> it's just yeah. practices of selection. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's become a, it has a negative shadow over it. Now. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's a very interesting one in the insect space, but also generally in the food system where you have some. Uh, some regions, some countries, some regulatory environments where it is kind of a taboo word and yeah, others exactly. where it is a kind of promise for opportunity. Mm. The same in insect farming. Precisely. Depends on which camp you are at. Yeah. It's something to leave behind but look for in the future as well. So it's, very, it's a very weird place to be in. So, so but, was your, ex, your stint in the lab at NUS the one that made you realize, okay, like BSF is the, is the insect that I want to work with? Um, 
and not any others because yeah how how did bsf come to be what's yeah. so special about this specific insect mm-hmm. so we we did experiment with quite a number of different mm-hmm. insect species we cultivated oh, yeah. uh, mealworms superworms uh, crickets um, sago worms which is a, something that's cultivated in parts of malaysia and thailand um or earthworms as mm-hmm. well earthworms um, also <laughs> yeah um and um they all have kind of interesting aspects uh for me personally the the reason to be excited and explore this opportunity in this space is um is and was the, the circularity aspect mm-hmm. the combination of mm-hmm. um byproduct and food waste management and quality nutrition um and for that the black soldier fly is just really really well positioned because mm-hmm. it is a detritivorous omnivore it has a very wide dietary mm-hmm. spectrum whereas if you think about mealworm it's in the name it has a very specific <laughs> dietary <laughs> spectrum right mm-hmm. and um if you look at crickets as well very specific dietary spectrum both of those species are uh dry feeders and mm-hmm. dry feedstocks are more expensive than wet feedstocks still insect mm-hmm. larvae the black soldier fly thrives basically in a um in a moist environment and that's that's just more aligned i think with the view on the vision of establishing a infrastructure for renewable nutrition which is was kind of an idea that um that uh, that excited me rather than kind of having um dump sites or having even composting sites mm-hmm. where where nutrients are downgraded um or let's say biogas where where nutrients are downgraded into levels um an infrastructure similar to those that can be deployed around but that actually retains the nutritional value and brings it kind of back mm-hmm. in the format of um of directly usable nutrients and um for that the black soldier fly is not the only conceivable insect but the one where um where all factors align and where there is and was momentum already it ha- kind of has a hockey stick mm-hmm. um that it builds on and i think that's important mm-hmm. if you want to do something commercially um the black soldier fly goes back to research in the in the US in the 60s the first mm-hmm. research papers oh, that 60s. yeah the the first research papers that kind of postulated the the idea of um cultivating the black soldier fly mm-hmm. um came um from the US in the 60s actually as a uh, as a means for um interestingly pest control so for oh. for controlling housefly populations in um in in poultry farms mm-hmm. used the black soldier fly to crowd out the um uh, the house flies because black soldier fly is not not a known vector not a known pest mm-hmm. uh, so it doesn't yeah. attack ag- agricultural crops it doesn't transmit diseases while the house fly obviously is mm. a, is a very carrier. um important vector and and carrier of disease I mean at least I don't know if I'm living in a cocoon but it's not very cocoon. <laughs> wow. famous the BSF farming right not a lot of people have heard of it is that because there are some misconceptions and misunderstandings about the black soldier fly or this farming or are there are there still something some people out there that are not very receptive to the concept of having insects being farmed for food and I think that momentum has built a lot um and I'm always actually surprised when I go to you and how many people actually have heard about it how many people have had even first-hand experiences with mm-hmm. it and um how many people um are yeah have have kind of 
been in touch peripherally with this nascent industry. It is a young industry. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's it's not yesterday. It's building on you know, good ten years of commercial mm-hmm. development, mm-hmm. of regulatory development, and this hockey stick in in academia that really goes back to um, 60s, 70s, 80s, and then building up through the uh, exotics feeders community, kind of life feeders for reptiles, for rodents, for um, for ornamental fish, and then kind of made the step up into um, into larger scale commercial production. So there there is a lot of momentum building on all fronts: media, um, commercial customer awareness, uh, public awareness, um, regulatory frameworks that all kind of need to come together to to really um, make it a make it a reality that has impact mm-hmm. not everyone has been exposed to it mm-hmm. but then it sounds like a lot of people have yeah, been I, I, I would say but I'm yeah. of course I'm in the bubble I'm in the bubble, <laughs> in the <laughs> in the bubble. and so you're in uh, the cocoon uh, yeah exactly <laughs> in the good cocoon and to, to, to me it's very obvious that everyone has heard of it but uh, that, that is of course not the case uh, but it is a it is a surprisingly large and growing group um, and maybe still a minority but it's a significant mm-hmm. group yeah in the same way that few people when they go to the supermarket and and buy a fish few people know or think about that that fish is grown on wild caught fish that uh, comes from the ocean even when it says aquaculture right mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of things are just not known to uh, many people True. when it comes to the food system um, mm-hmm. on on all aspects so yeah as long as it's yummy, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So that, that, that's that's kind of the basis. And then once you once you open the the hood and kind of look behind yeah. that, um, then it actually gets really really interesting, Popping and it it, yeah. it becomes a topic that uh, that you can dive in for years to find new interesting facts and dynamics behind the food system. It's yeah, yeah it's very interesting. Just a sidetrack. Did did you watch The Good Place? I haven't no. Oh, you have not. Oh, but it's it's really this uh, comedy series where everyone thought that they were going to heaven because I mean they they maybe they were like going doing fair trade. They were like getting fair trade food, uh, eating organic, like doing charity work, and then they realized when they died, they all went to hell because <laughs> there is no such thing as like Com- like completely. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're affecting someone, yeah, someone or something yeah. at the end of the value chain. Yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't watched it, but I, I will. I will actually because I think there there is there is something um, very important about that, and and that's uh, there is no free lunch, right? Mm-hmm. There is no free lunch in the food system, and that also means there there is no life without death. Is mm-hmm. a view that you have. You can be a vegetarian and vegan, but to think that you're not killing is a that there is no death involved in your nutrition just is a concept that it's nice to to (laughs) believe that right but it's also nice to believe in in a lot of things a lot of things (laughs) it's 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 just not the reality reality and if if you're eating uh, plant-based burgers and that comes on uh, monoculture soy cultivation um, that uses pesticides and herbicides in their production, that uses synthetic fertilizers in their production, um, that has an annual till cycle. How many wild animals are 
dying in those fields every year, Effective right? How many it. insects are dying from mm -hmm. the pesticides? How many marine organisms are dying from algae blooms that are caused by fertilizer runoffs from from this right the, the system is very complicated and exactly. it goes it, it goes way beyond <laughs> the the simplicity of um of of infographics mm -hmm. yeah every choice affects so many things like there's no one dimensional connection between yeah. things it's just everything's so interconnected I am so sorry for but bringing no, everyone on a dooming I love that tangent. Scene. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, yeah. I think it's, it's it's a very important one. It's a to to me it's an important one, and it's one on why the why I'm excited about the insect opportunity um, because it's not perfect. Not, not nothing is perfect, mm. right? But mm. it um, it provides a pretty unique solution for that nutrient circularity topic there are a lot of mm. interesting nutritional approaches but there are few that are kind of so, so broad spectrum circular as the kind of like soda fly insect farming proposition mm. um, and in in kind of contributing to both crop pr production as well as um, uh, as well as animal nutrition, mm -hmm. right? because that, that's the thing. It's not just, actually by, by volume, we are primarily fertilizer producers. We mm -hmm. produce more fertilizer than we produce protein. Okay. And so that goes into, um, into tropical uh, agriculture, right? It goes mm -hmm. into soils that have not gotten organic fertilizers for a long time that have in Southeast Asia been primarily um, uh, synthetic and mineral fertilizer fertilization strategies where you have depleted soils where you have um, uh, too much minerals in the salts where you basically have zero organic matter left mm -hmm. um, where you have acidified uh, soils from that use and this is where um, where the where the processing ingredient really can mm. provide value not just for crash cash crops but also for um, for for staple crops as as volume grows and so mm. that's that's a part of the equation that is important to holistically look at um, mm. yeah. when when looking at you know any part of the food system actually on True. this point and I think also circling back to a point that we always that we had earlier on is that the use of BSFL is pretty wide right and Momentum has picked up. You've mentioned the hockey stick, I think, three times. <laughs> so, so why, why do you think, in your opinion, I mean, you've, you've also been in this space for quite some time, how, why do you think people are really picking up on this? Why has it become more accessible? Is it because it's cheap? Or... Well, cheap is always relative. Yeah. <laughs> um, n n nothing is ever cheap enough, right? Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we're in Singapore, we know that. <laughs> why is it picking up? I think there there is significant macro tailwind mm -hmm. behind the value proposition that insect farming brings. If we take, let's say, the aquaculture industry, mm -hmm. um, there are there's a lot of pressure on the aquaculture industry and expectation on the aquaculture industry to provide sustainable protein and climate friendly protein, environmentally friendly protein. Now the major environmental impact of aquaculture comes through the impact of feed. When you want to produce a few um, dozens of millions of tons of, uh, of aquaculture produce per year, you need that amount in feed ingredients. Mm -hmm. So they need to come from somewhere, and a lot of that are marine ingredients. They're 
fish meal is a main staple, but it's other marine ingredients too. It's squid meal, it's krill meal. We're just now um, participating in a, uh, in a global uh, krill replacement challenge with mm-hmm. one of our products um, to, to show that krill as an ingredient, you know, this Arctic krill that is mm-hmm. uh, taken from, um, from the wild that is uh, essential for marine ecosystems um, is not needed in aquaculture to produce a product. Mm-hmm. But um, th- those are those are ingredients that are today the foundation of aquaculture. And a lot of the companies, the bigger feed companies, they have made very public commitments to sustainability. They have made public commitments to um, carbon uh, yeah. emissions that they have. A lot of those are scope three emissions yeah. Yeah. That, that come in. And so there is this tailwind that they realize, well, 2030 is not that far away. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're using a lot. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. We, can't from, we can't wait till 2029, yeah. right? Uh, we, have to, we have to actually take actions now and create a pathway to reach those, um, those goals. And this is a very significant, um, I think, tailwind that we've experienced and that we see is accelerating mm-hmm. even over the last 12 months mm-hmm. or so. Um, and then you have uh, you have kind of tangible uh, climate change effects that are um, that are impacting the industry. You have this year right. an El Nino year in, in South America, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is the the global major producer for um, for fish meals. And so uh, the first fishing quota was completely. Um, was completely stopped. And it means there's a shortage in the market. And so right. now everyone especially is saying, well, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> where, do we go? Where, where, yeah. where else do we take this from? And these events are, okay. um, you know, this will relax again because it, it, it's not going to be a linear mm-hmm. increase, but it will come in these, come um, in these waves that the are, importance. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Macro tailwinds that I don't mm-hmm. see any reason to believe that they will go away. They will they'll get stronger. Climate events will get stronger. You know, our, our insect mm. farms, the climate, the climate, it, it's a very climate resilient crop. One, mm-hmm. it is indoor, but two, the insect larvae stri- thrives in a, mm. um, in a 30 plus uh, temperature environment, oh. right? And it's oh. very temperature tolerant to 40 mm-hmm. degrees. A uh, few other crops are, right? Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. correct. Like, actually, I mean, on this point, right, micro tailwinds being, wanting to be like more sustainable, being carbon neutral, all these things. I agree with you. I don't think I don't think this tailwind's got to go away. But when we want to combine something so sustainable with smart technology, are we are we unintentionally also being very energy intensive in our operations here? That's um, that's uh, also a very good question. Um, right, and I think one that is monitoring on all fronts. How how mm-hmm. is it like? Correct and. That's a question that is, um, you know, this is something that at the moment is putting a lot of uh, question marks on the vertical farming space for yeah. uh, for plants, right? Yes. There, there are a number of companies that um, that that have failed and were kind of one of the um, questions. Technology for its own sake, without competitiveness in the market, mm-hmm. is is not going to be sustainable because it's not going to be financially sustainable. Um, and and so this, this is something that applies for all areas, also for insects. Is the mega factory farm that costs $50 million to build and where everything is tightly controlled and where maybe the efficiencies are higher, 
is that eventually more cost competitive and is it eventually more sustainable than a collective of backyard farms? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a question to be had. I mm-hmm. I think they are solving problems at different levels of the um, of the food chain and are are not actually in direct competition to each other. But at each point, that question needs to be asked, and it needs to be asked, you know, honestly and frankly by the companies. Yeah. Any automation decision that you do, any sensor that you put in, is cost, right? If we if we Correct. want to have one more uh, temperature and humidity data point, it is yeah. another five hundred dollars, and yes. it's another maintenance effort, and it's mm-hmm. another when it breaks, you need a qualified person to to actually look at that, right? right. It, it, so that's why technology in itself is not smart, mm-hmm. and technology can be very dumb. You can have thousands of sensors, and it's still dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Right? That, that's not Quite what um, technology can enable smartness. Correct. Right? When it is combined with a clear purpose, a clear hypothesis, a clear Precisely. analysis of if we do this, what can we do with that information mm. and how mm. does that information help with a economically valuable outcome? Correct. Right? It needs to be well thought out. The scenarios need to be made before you actually invest and use the technologies like you have to. So now that we know majorly about what the present scenario of uh, insect farming and BSFL looks like, what does the future look like? For, and specifically for Potenga, what do you see the future of BSF farming to be like? And what do you envision would happen in the next five, 10 years in this industry? Well, we have um, kind of defined our 2030 targets um, as to have at least 100 farms mm-hmm. um, wow. deployed across the region. So we. Wow. The, the mission is making insect farming accessible. Mm-hmm. The outcome that we target is at least 100 farms by 2030. Um, and that means that we are focused on um, making that farm investment accessible, making it simpler to build, faster to build and deploy, cheaper to build. Um, on the one hand, and making mm-hmm. sure that on the other hand, what is produced from the farm or from this network of farms is of such high quality that it achieves optimal value for the farm investor and for the value chain mm-hmm. so that it creates a um, virtuous cycle of adoption. So we this is a right. two-pronged approach of making the technology smarter and smarter doesn't necessarily, as you just said, mean more high tech and more <laughs> cost. It means smarter in the right, techno- right technology at the lowest possible cost mm. without sacrificing reliability. That is the one um, area. And the other one is um, product. So making mm-hmm. the products better, developing more targeted applications for the products, developing product variants that meet specific um, customer pain points. And the beauty of the, we call it the base products, is that they are really very broad spectrum products that can be used in many different ways. And that means they have a huge market to um, to address, but it also means that the, um, the competitiveness, the price competitiveness in the market is a lot mm-hmm. higher. Correct. So can the production platform be profitable at those prices? We believe yes, mm-hmm. um, and that will be part of it. That's kind of the, the demand side, um, the demand side insurance, and the other side is 
where, where and how can you use your raw material base to deliver superior value. Mm -hmm. And that's the other part that we're focused on. Interesting. So how much of an effort is there to get this as human food? Yeah, I was patiently <laughs> waiting for that human food to come because that's, you that's already the... said you already tried it and it tasted healthy. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we, we, have, we have tried insect uh, products kind of since, since starting in 2016. Um, like, no, I don't eat it every day. Um, but... Um, there's actually no no big reason why not. Mm -hmm. We have done different kind of in, in our earlier experimental stage. We have different. We've done quite a number of uh, experiments on product formats. We've explored. Um, we've done a you know insect sushi roll format, insect breads, wow. insect pasta oh, wow. um, sauces with insect. Talking of, about this over lunch, kind of, yeah. <laughs> cookies, punishing. Um, uh, cookies with insects. Um, we. Kind of some some favorites for for me were um, uh, insect sambal belacan. Oh, <laughs> so substituting the heavy ham uh, from the from the um, from the sambal and nice. instead of uh, using the um, the small shrimp, we're using the insect wow. protein. Actually, to most Southeast Asians, the taste and smell of the insect protein from the black soldier fly is a dried prawn taste and smell oh. and so it actually so works same. really well for most, yeah, for most for uh, most for most i think um europeans it has the, the uh, dominant flavor association okay. is nutty oh, okay and so it kind of works well in baked goods as a protein fortification maybe mm -hmm. in, in southeast asia the major association is kind of dried prawn so it has very mm -hmm. natural ways to enter into yeah. diets where Actually, you, you you'd be you'd be pleasantly surprised by how mm. good and normal the taste is. A lot of people expect something not yeah. normal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's insects, try. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's very normal, and and the, the thing is just is this is this a so can it be done? Yes. And that, those were the mm. three questions. Mm -hmm. uh, can it be can done? It be Will people try it? Will people buy it, and will people buy it every week? Mm -hmm. right? And oh. and those kind of were the three questions of adoption back then. We asked, and the first question: Yes, people will try it. Not everyone will try it, yeah. but um, if ten percent will try it, then that's enough. Mm -hmm. Will people buy it? Yes, we found that almost everyone who is willing to try it is also willing to buy mm -hmm. it. But the third one is basically where I think there hasn't been um, strong enough um, reason. What will be the reason that you want to have? this product in your pantry stocked mm -hmm. at all times mm -hmm. and when it's not there you put it on your shopping list i see right? i think that that is the critical mm -hmm. aspect for for it to really be a nutritional mainstay otherwise you're okay. in the party gag kind of yeah uh, you're in the fear factor space and all of that but that's mm -hmm. not really nutrition of the future right and yeah it's it's also not about you know sprinkling some some dried uh, crickets over your food to me to me that's not future of food that's yeah. that's yeah. kind of optical garnish um sure. yeah and um so yeah, the, yeah. this this uh, our, our view within my, my personal view is um it can make fantastic products mm -hmm. um pretenga's view is uh, maybe in the future um, we're not actively doing anything okay. um on it we have a 
um, we have an ingredient brand name kind of in the drawer that when the time <laughs> is, oh. is right, we might uh, we, we might take out. We we maintain a domain registration for it <laughs> um, um, for the future. But uh, there are in I think in what we might see is actually uh, quite interesting is that the the economics of the economics and the regulatory environment in Europe for these large scale farms that restricts what feedstocks they are able to use <clears throat> actually um, brings a lot of these facilities to use um, relatively high quality ingredients that could also be used in, in pig farming. Mm -hmm. um, pig farming has had quite a decline in, in Europe. A lot of pig farmers are going out of business. Um, the and, price of pork is also um, falling. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now again, there's kind of a... Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but the, the, the dynamic there is that their cost of production based on the raw materials they're able to use and the capex and therefore the depreciation that they have on their factories actually makes their cost of goods so expensive that they mm -hmm. can't really enter as a fish meal replacement in, right. in diets. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is a uh, there is a push also for black soldier fly producers to um, to get into human nutrition. Mm -hmm. And so there are dossiers for novel food um, in the EU. There, the EU has defined a process for um, for approving novel it's food ingredients, like mealworm is yeah. already approved, cricket is already approved, yeah. a number of others as well. You know, Singapore also Singapore had, also yeah. had yeah. news yeah. about it. It's, yeah. I think it's not yet in effect, but there are nine species. Half of the yeah. 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 Um, the black soldier fly is not part of that list yet in um, in, in Singapore. In Europe, um, they there are at least, from what I know, two dossiers that are currently being evaluated okay. to approve it. Right. And so that could just be kind of a market push to to bring it in um, mm. earlier. I'm not fully convinced on the demand side there mm. for human food to really mm. be large volume, yeah. but I am following them. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm rooting for them while yeah. we focus on making it accessible in the markets where the markets are today ready and today say, yeah. give us more. Yeah, but I think to your point of whether it will come on the shopping list of uh, humans, mm. Again, probably five, ten years down the line, I think that will come when the consumer knowledge of what kind of differences and advantages this insect food has, insect you get from insects compared to your average non-vegetarian meals that you get. Because we're seeing in the market, the consumer conscience is driving their decisions, especially the Gen Z and Gen Alpha. They're becoming very, very conscious of what they put on their plate, where it's coming from. So once that, because we've been studying about Pratanga the past week, right? So... For me, insects was immediately when I hear insects in that food, it's like, what insects? But when you understand that, you know, you don't get insects in the form of like chewing on an insect, which is mm. fried, but it's actually making your meal more nutritious and it's better for the environment. Mm. So it did click something in my mind. And I think that is what will definitely drive human adoption. Mm. And Gen Z's and Gen Alphas are the people to do it. But, but towards your goal of, 100 farms by 2030, new product lines, etc. What would you think is the greatest hurdle or challenge? Consumer adoption, regulatory hurdles, what, what do you think is standing in, in between that goal and Pratanga for the next six and uh, six years? And oh my gosh, the well, years so little fly. Left, yeah, right? so yeah. little left. 2030 sounds far away for most people, so it's easy yeah. to make promises, but <laughs> yeah. it's not that far. It's not actually. far anymore. Um, so... I think it's it's a series of chicken and egg chicken problems and egg. in 
in, in driving adoption, right? Um, there is, uh, in, in my view, it all needs to come from the demand side. It needs to come from the market side. Mm. And so in a circular solution, you <laughs> yes. have two sides, right? Exactly. You, have the, um, you have the upstream side where you have the waste and you have the downstream side where you have the insect-based nutrition products into agriculture for fertilization and into pet food, aqua feed, animal feed with the protein, with the oil mm -hmm. or with other product formats mm -hmm. that you that you can make there. There's a quite quite a variety of products that you could make from um, from the from the fresh insect biomass. Mm -hmm. And so I think the chicken egg problem start from customers. You have large customers, international customers that say, uh, yeah, we need um, alternatives, mm -hmm. um, but we can't afford to pay premiums. Mm -hmm. So we need competitive pricing. And we want volumes. Mm -hmm. It's difficult for us to use small volumes mm. um, in, in diets. Our, you know, our machines run on large batches. We can't have too much raw material variability in every batch. And so um, that's, that's a chicken and egg problem where the the customer, the market wants it, but the adoption is that kind of adoption pathway has a big step up. How do you mm -hmm. how do you pave a way into it? Um, and you know, developing the right customer relationships that say, okay, we will buy for the next two years, not just spot sales, because then that goes to the next chicken neck problem. You need to right. invest to build capacity, mm -hmm. either equity funding or debt funding or right. customer funding but regardless of where the funding comes from there is funding required to build up that capacity and any business plan assessment there will look at the demands and right what does the customer say you want to build something that needs uh, payback for the next two and a half three years mm -hmm. to uh, to make it work are these selling prices uh, actually confirmed are mm. uh, you sure that these volumes can be sold in, mm -hmm. in in the market that you don't build up inventory, and so those are all um, uh, linked. Um, I think chicken and egg problems that need to be worked through. Kind of one, you push one block a little forward, and then you need to push another block a little forward, and then you need to put another block a little yeah. forward it, it doesn't really kind of work sequentially where you can do I oh, now I do only this and then I take this it's, push it all yeah every end and this mm -hmm. is where the complexity I think just comes from in in the pathway to um, to to 2030 mm -hmm. who should be responsible for the pushing <laughs> I guess, I guess the, the, the one the one the ones who wants to make it a reality. So that's you. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's part of it. But luckily, we're luckily we're not alone. And luckily, there are yes. um, there are, and that's the most important thing. There are customers who mm. are um, who are getting behind it and say, mm -hmm. yes, you know, that this is a future that we want. So we're going to um, we are going to support it now. There are um, investors that say, yeah, we customers. see that opportunity. Customers. Right. The the market side is there. Um, the market opportunity is there. This is a big enough opportunity. So mm. yes, we go in that, and you know, it requires a team, right? You need uh, 
both within the company and then within supplier networks, um, supplier that say, yeah, okay, well, you know, we're, we're going to work with you on it. And um, maybe the next year we only get one project, but in, you know, we, we see that we could then develop into three projects a year, 10 projects mm -hmm. a year, and that, that can become a relevant business for us as well. Mm -hmm. it, um, it, it requires a whole uh, value chain mm -hmm. to be developed and, each each part of it kind of needs to gradually increase their their confidence and commitment level to it. Team yeah. effort. <laughs> exactly, it is. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be one of the early adopters. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I am sold on the concept for wow, sure. Wow, <laughs> okay. Yeah, actually, there's one more question I think we forgot to ask, okay. but I had it in my mind, like, where do you get the food waste to, to feed into from? And that transportation process does it not degrade? Yeah, that's right. the, that's one of the reasons why we believe in a modular um, in a modular setup and basically creating an infrastructure that can be deployed decentrally close to where it oh, is produced, ideally it's on site. Farms mm. and ideally on site, or otherwise kind of co-located in an area. I don't think it makes sense to truck materials for yeah. hundreds of kilometers, yeah. right? I mean, we're, we're talking about waste and then you're going to have the logistics the footprint waste. into mm. it. Um, and so economically and environmentally, mm. it's not really um, it's not really great to do that. And so doing it on, in the micro scale, I think as a business proposition is difficult because the insect farming process does have overheads. And so we believe that it does need a certain scale to justify those overheads. Um, and then it's about uh, bringing it close to source. And so the spectrum is wide, right? The biological spectrum of the insect, and that's mm. the beauty, is it's it's very wide. Literally anything that has some form of uh, protein and carbohydrate in it from farm to fork can be valorized with the insects. Mm. Um, this is where the opportunity is. This is also where the complexity and the challenge and the opportunity lies. Um, we work with, um, as kind of our go-to-market focus with our smart insect farm, we work with the palm oil industry and mm -hmm. byproducts from the palm oil industry because they're in Malaysia and Indonesia, yeah. but kind of around the equatorial mm -hmm. belt, um, you have a very large-scale biomass that produces um, a number of byproducts and uh, byproduct streams that are um, either poorly valorized or not valorized at all, that have an environmental impact um, and that have a nutritional value that can be uh, captured with the insects. So for us, that's a that's a great go-to-market focus for, mm. for the technology. It's a very decentralized biomass as mm. well because you have the processing of palm oil everywhere around the region. Oh. Let's say in Malaysia, you have 400 different um, mills that are spread all around. In Indonesia, even more than that. Uh, in Southeast Asia, about 1,000 plus. So there, if we capture 10%, we're already done with our yeah. 100 farms. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, just within that biomass <coughs> spectrum. But we also have another project where we're working with um, food manufacturing byproducts. Um, so oh, quite a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah any, any food that you buy in that you can see on the shelf in the supermarket, it does have some byproducts, right? It has yeah. off-spec, off-spec, oh. um, yeah. off uh, QC failure, um, mm. expired ingredients, um, uh, off-cuts from production, uh, mm. starting up the line, ending up the line in a manufacturing facility, you always have byproducts and waste mm. um, in, in you know, some point in commercial kitchen. All of these are usable, but it becomes a 
distribution and logistics problem, right? That yeah. there, there's this easy figure of there is 1.3 billion tons of food waste in the world. Um, 30% of food is wasted. But the problem is that you can't pick up the phone and say, I would like 1% of that 30% yeah. to my facility, right? It's, uh, th this, is, exactly. this, is, this is a real like, yeah. part mm -hmm. of the definition of waste is that it is not a commodity. And yeah. so that there is a complexity in it. That's, that's very true. And I think that not a lot of people understand that, that waste is not a commodity. You can't just one day wake up, I'm going to make a difference in the world by mm. buying some waste and making do with it. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. I think, yeah, with that, uh, that's more or less what we had for today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Leo. I think uh, we're all way more knowledgeable about what insect farming is yeah. and what BSF is and how it's actually going to change the future of nutrition, not just for pets and animals, but also for human beings. I think you should... For all of the audience, you should put your faith in the BSF flies that might just be our future and future of food. So, yeah, great conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for being here today. Actually, I still have more questions for you. I think we'll cut it. And <laughs> yeah, we, we can go on and on yeah, about yeah. this topic. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, I'll, I'll wrap up. Um, thank you so much for tuning in uh, to our episode today with Leo. Uh, stay tuned for further episodes where we'll unpack even more uh, on, I think, AI and food, uh, low GI food etc alternate meat yeah, alternate, alternate protein meat. Yeah, we have really interesting episodes yeah. planned out Yeah. and if you enjoy this episode please follow us on whichever channel you're watching please comment and let us know if you have any suggestions or how we can make it better or if there's anything new you want to hear about we'd love to do that yeah um, until then uh, be imaginative be curious be innovative <laughs> <laughs> thank you